Welcome to Running on Purpose, a weekly podcast dedicated to training the body, the mind, and the soul for what the race requires. My name is Steve Sisson, and I will be your host. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Running on Purpose. I'm Steve, and I'm here with Kristen. Hello, Kristen. Yo. And this week, we're going to discuss a topic that both of us have, we're both passionate about, at least passionate about this in we the last few weeks we've had discussions in this area and both of us have gone off the handle. Um, there have been a couple of f f bombs, serious f bomb action, and a lot of uh, one or one of the other of us sort of quietly sitting there while the other raged on about some particular topic, and we realized pretty quickly that we needed to record something on balance and. We're just going to hit the, the the main high points here and just try to bring to you a way of, for you to recognize where you might have imbalance in your training and where you might have imbalance in your life. We don't there's no way that we're going to be exhaustive on this topic and we're not going to hit all of the all of the points. We're just going to hit some of them and and what we hope is that you'll be able to take this episode and listen to it and find some areas of imbalance in your life and hopefully begin to really dig deeper on it and find resources that will help you become more balanced in that area. But before we get there, we have a current event topic we want to talk about, don't we? I mean, yeah, I think so. I think we both are feeling a little bit uh, hesitant about this topic, but we kind of feel like we've got to wade in. Again, it's another topic that we've both flown off the handle about in the last couple of days, but we're, we're... we're a little bit confused about where, not where we sit, because we've got a pretty strong opinions about the topic. What's the topic? About Alberto Salazar's four-year ban, and more generally, like fan, like sport fandom, or being a, a, a fan of our sport of track and field, and how doping plays into our, our experience of our sport as fans. Um I say that, and then I, and I know what Kristen's going to say is like, I'm not a fan, are you? No, it's not that. It's just like I don't give a shit. It's that sounds like I don't know. That sounds that sounds really harsh, but I just mean, you know, when we were talking about this the other day, you said that you are a fan of the sport, and I don't know that I'm really a fan of the sport. Um, I'm madly in love with running and the art of running and pushing my body to its absolute limits. And I'm a fan of watching the people I train with do the same and people I care about do the same. But as far as like who ran what in what race, I don't really give a shit because it's not really relevant unless you're showing me somebody who is like mad inspiring. Like um, who's the woman who came in sixth that um, Rebecca, uh, no, Roberta, Roberta Groner. Groner. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like show me a 41 year old woman. Mother of three, Mother right? of three. Like, Full-time that's job. way more fucking interesting to me than some, like, single woman who gets to do nothing but train all day and, like, has access to the best of everything. Like, that's inspiring, don't get me wrong, but it's not really relevant to me or my life. So to say I'm a fan of the sport would not be accurate. But you, however, are a lifelong fan of the sport. I am a lifelong fan of the sport. And I am also have been vocally a long-term and long-time fan 
of the coach that just got busted with a four-year ban, uh, Alberto Zal- Salazar. I've had many... You kind of have a crush on him, actually. I have a coach crush on him, for sure. I know there's many people who will hear me right now, because right now the interwebs are crying and calling out for the full decimation of him and anyone that's ever been in any any contact with him, from his athletes to... Uh, the 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 biz- Nike the business itself the CEO at Nike all because Alberto Salazar has gotten this ban and I, I guess I would just want to say a couple of things about that number one if those of you who know what's going on with this ban and where it sits this guy didn't get busted for doping or having any of his athletes dope he got busted for things that were on the edge of appropriate or inappropriate. They were he not did not get busted for anything that USADA could say that he he said they basically said that he trafficked in testosterone. They said like that's not slimy as shit. Well, it kind of is, but if you understand the full context about why he did it, it it brings other things to light. But I don't want to get into the minutia of it all. Alberto Zalazar is busted. People are coming out all over everywhere, throwing stones at him and throwing stones at every athlete that's been associated with him, mm-hmm. which is completely unfair and unreasonable. This is a ban on him. This is a this is something that he has been caught doing. And basically what it mostly boils down to is that he took advantage of his athletes. And that is 100% true, and that is absolutely wrong. And, and coaches should not take advantage of their athletes in that way. But... I can tell you there are there are coaches in Kenya, Ethiopia, the United States doing way worse things, way worse things. And I'm not saying that that means that Alberto shouldn't get in trouble. He deserved the ban he got. But his athletes? Guilt by association is understood, but no one is saying that Alberto was found in a lot in a in a in a room with five vials of testosterone and and other things. It's like I don't know. You might want to ask Carrie Goucher about that. Yeah, she has a different opinion about it. She's pretty feels pretty strongly. And so does Jenny Simpson, who I have a huge mad respect for. Jenny Simpson, all the way across the board. I don't know. It's perhaps it's just because I'm such a fan of Alberto, and so well, I I, and I and, and it's not like I feel like my like oh my heart is broken. I just think that this is what happens in in professional sport. Like, hey, you think your NBA basketball player is not taking testosterone? Do you think that they're not doing hormone treatments? Do you think that athletes are not are not doing like much harder, much more damaging drugs that are absolutely performance enhancing? Alberto Zalazar on the scale of infraction about what's going on with drugs in our sport of track and field and beyond in all sport, he is a tiny, tiny player, but he's a big image. And that's what Travis Tiger and that's what USADA wants to go after. They want to get these big guys that they can take down just like they did with Lance. I do not equate Alberto Zalazar and Lance Armstrong in the same conversation. I know others do, and I respect their feeling that that is how it should, that that's the way it is. I just think these are professionals that are trying to make a living at this at the highest level, and they're trying to get the edge and the advantage that they can. And the whistleblowers in this case all felt that they were taken advantage of. Check. Absolutely. They feel like they were um, misled and tried to force to do things that were against their ethics and against their what they feel is going on with their body. Check. But every athlete in the NOP is not guilty. And they get tested all the goddamn time, Kristen. These guys and girls are getting tested all the time and they're not getting busted. So why do they have to get all thrown under the bus in the same way? 
And Nike is the bad is this big bad guy. Yeah, they are. They control the sport way too much. They've got way too much control. I'm 100 percent there. But do you think athletes that run for Adidas aren't doping? I mean, basically the entire Ethiopian team is sponsored by by that, and Ethiopia has a huge doping problem. So, listen, I'm for clean sport. I think Alberto Salazar probably deserved this ban that he got, but I am I am not happy with the way that they're painting all these other athletes. Sifan Hassan does this amazing double. She runs a 10,000 meters and runs the last 1,500 of the 10,000 meters. I mean, she ran basically under four minutes for the last 1,500, and that, that's what it took to make the final of the 1,500 by itself. It's crazy. Then she came back a couple of days later and won the 1,500 in grand style, running away from everybody and destroying them. Of course, in every sport, and in our sport, we know that when things like that happen, everybody says doper. She's innocent until she's proven guilty. Our focus on doping and at the level that we're focusing on doping is ruining our sport. Not the doping. The doping is going to happen whether you like it or not. It happens whether you like it or not. There's no way around it. But we're also ruining our sport through this other part. You're yelling right now. Oh, God. And I'm not blaming Kara Goucher or any other person for this. I think Steve Magnus and the whistleblowers did what they were supposed to do. It's just painting with this incredibly broad brush. Well, it's, it's even like the rhetoric around it on, on social media, right? Like Stephanie Bruth Rothstein or whatever. Like she said something about how her faith in the sport has been been renewed. And it's like, are you fucking kidding me? You think Alberto Salazar is the only dude doing questionable shit? And don't get that twisted. Like he for sure was. I've never been a fan of the guy. But then she goes on to talk about how like she hopes that his reach is not felt in her sport ever again or anymore and it's kind of like but he is one of the greatest coaches who's ever lived or coached right in the history of the sport so you- and he's done it to the point of being above board that i do not think that his athletes are on a systematic consistent doping protocol like ethiopians are like I Kenyans are like american sprinters are like american throwers i mean i don't know how stephanie rothstein can have faith at all in the sport that's kind of my point it's because people like to get on a fucking bandwagon and throw stones with everybody else like we do with every sensationalist news story out there and in a matter of two weeks we'll forget about it we and we'll <laughs> move on to something else right like newsflash the fucking water in flint is still fucking dirty do you know what i mean like yeah and we're about to see Ilya kipchoge soon try to take a, t- a take a stab at going sub two hours in a marathon and you know, I was just asking you offline if Ilya Kipchoge was tested positive for a performance enhancing drug, where would how would you feel about him? Mm, I mean, it would change how I view him for sure, but it wouldn't I'm interested in who he is, who he appears to be as a person, right? Because I don't And know that would him. be the biggest thing that it would and be And that would be the biggest thing. So it would I really get a lot of pleasure and inspiration from watching him in the media and the way that he trains and the way that he views running um, and his very zen-like approach to the sport. If it came out that he was doping, I mean, I'd be done with him, but I don't know that it would affect my life in any Because you've way. got other reasons why you run, and you are more a fan of the sport as you being a participant in it than you are necessarily the performances of the fastest and the best in the world. Yeah, I don't care about that at all. I'm I care about dope people doing dope shit, right? But as far as like... <laughs> but doping itself? <laughs> whatever. Right, like I had 
a conversation with one of my training partners, like, what should we do about Dova? We do. Like, I'm not going to do anything about it, right? But, and he had said, make everything legal. And it's like, his, I think his words were, how bad do you want it, right? Like, are you willing to dope to do it? And if it's legal, then you'll do it, never mind what it does to your body in the future. And it's kind of like, I, I don't know, I can see the point there, but I'm kind of going off. I don't know. I don't care. I, I'm saying I don't care, but then I get worked up about it, so I clearly do care. But Yeah, so hopefully at least we provided you a little entertainment and maybe a little bit of background. If you want more background on this, you just do a Google search of Alberto Salazar and, and Kara Goucher. Most people really know who she is, and I think that Kara should be absolutely applauded for the courage and the guts and the financial risk it took. She went through a lot of things to make that happen, and it's something that she felt strongly should be done. And I give her full, I mean, th- I, that is more courage than I think I might have. I, I, don't, I don't know how I would react in that case. So, yeah. Um, yeah. So anyway, we'll, we'll stop there and maybe we'll bring some balance to this podcast episode about balance. I'll, just, I'll take one big deep breath together. Talk about balance. All right. So, Kristen, balance in running or balance for runners. Runners are not a particularly balanced group of people, are they? No, I feel like most of the time in my limited experience of running and other runners, you're either the type of person who wants to do the most amount possible and get the most benefit and maximum effort or results from that, or you want to do the least amount possible and get maximum results, right? Very, it's not very often that I find people fall in the middle, like what's best for my body. I certainly didn't when I first started running. Yeah, I think that that's why uh, our our sport sort of lends itself to this in a lot of ways too, in the fact that it's so easy to do. You just walk out the front door and you can go start start running. It takes minimal equipment. You don't need a whole lot of other things. So there's a tendency for people to sort of just think they can do more and more and more and more. Um, but I think there's also this other side, and I, I don't think this is particular just to runners, but it's definitely particular to the current, it seems more evident in the world that we live in now that people are also looking for hacks. They're looking for shortcuts. They're looking for ways to game the system so that they don't have to go through all the steps necessary for mastery or for success. So both of these two issues are not balanced. It's not balanced to just go out keep running and running and running and running without thinking about how it works and how it functions with your body, you'll run in yourself right into injury or you'll get overtrained or you'll get exhausted. The other side is you don't do enough. You don't do anything. And you're always looking for a hack, for a shortcut, for a cheat. Um, I mean, right now we've got in our sport, maybe we should talk about this topic at some time, but we've got people who are cheating to get a Boston qualifier, epically cheating, like jumping on, like what, what the hell is I going on even. with that? I like that's, even. that's the ultimate side of this is like, like, come on, like people, we all value balance, but I do think that's really important is that mo- very few of us are very balanced unless, especially in our running, we have a tendency to push the envelope all the time, or I like to say swing the pendulum since I've been a really egregious pendulum swinger for most of my life as I'm, you know, I just turned 50 literally this last week and I find myself more and more focused on balance and where balance sits in my life and how balance is a much better way to live. As the Buddhists say, the path of moderation, the middle way. And maybe it's just me getting old. But, you know, Kristen, you're younger than I am. And this is an area that you've much, found. Much, much younger. <laughs> this is an area that you found has made a big impact on you. 
Yeah, I mean, when I first came into the sport, um, almost six years ago now, I guess, five years, six years ago, something like that, um, I just sort of like did my first marathon off of almost no miles. But when I started training seriously, I think I had this idea in my head of what it took to get fast and um, somewhere along the line decided that I needed to train at 90 to 100 miles a week and that was what I had to do. Mm. Never mind, never mind that like, okay, in order to hit that on my easy day, I have to run 14 miles. Even though it wasn't what you... Even though I'm fucking exhausted and like my nutrition wasn't on point and so I'm achy and so I make myself go through the 14 miles recovery and I'm doing the goddamn little bunny quotes around recovery because it wasn't. Um, but I was still out there for 14 miles pounding my body when maybe that day I needed five to shake out my legs and then take an ice bath or like go for a hike or I don't know, get some sleep. Right. Yeah. And so I think especially in running with Strava and with comparing ourselves to elites and our teammates and Boston qualifiers and Olympic trial qualifiers. It's like so easy to look at the people around you and think that you should be doing what they're doing and that that's the only way to get what you want when that is not true at all. I learned that the hard way. Yeah. I uh, heard a interview of, Jenny Simpson this weekend as she was at the world championships and she was talking about uh, the performances of other people and how other people were, you know, the people that beat her, how she could feel good about her race if they had just, she got eighth place and destroyed. And she said, she gave a great quote from Theodore Roosevelt that said, comparison is the thief of joy. Mm. And I mean, as soon as it hit, she said it, it hit me right in my soul this is the problem with Strava dick measuring, right? Like, mm -hmm. where's the joy in your own running when you can get no pleasure out of it because you're comparing yourself to somebody else's experience that has nothing to do with you and your goal. Even if you're in the same pace range or you have the same goal on the same day, you have completely different experiences. You have a different life. You have a different running background. You have so many different things. And the joy of your sport will be stolen. Like, that's such a great quote. Yeah. Comparison is the thief of joy. Thanks to to Jenny Simpson for bringing that one because it's timely and pertinent right now for the way I've been thinking about this episode and thinking about balance, balancing everything. So in this episode, Christian, we really want to kind of get a little bit deeper on balancing the body. We're going to make this more of a body episode of the podcast because we're doing body, mind, and soul in some ways. This one will be mind will be a lot more on the body, and then we're also going to talk about the the crucial issue that really plays into this as well, which is finding balance in your life and and helping you hopefully get some things you can implement in regards to this and uh, seeing it first, right? Seeing the big picture, knowing that there's imbalance, recognizing it, and then seeking to find ways that you might be able to find balance with it. If you're working with a coach, this is a great topic for you and your coach to work on. If you're finding areas where you don't have balance, ask your coach what suggestions they might have. We're going to come up with some, but in no way, shape, or form are we going to be able to do an exhaustive discussion on this topic. Yeah, we're not going to fucking fix you in one podcast. I don't think we're going to fix them in 100. But <laughs> All right, so let's just jump into a couple of topics here. The first one I want to talk about is mileage, Kristen. You brought this up a little bit earlier about how you felt this compelling need to hit a 90 mile a week number 
and talk a little bit about why why you came up with that number, not necessarily in a historical context, but just the irrationality of the of the of the determination of the mileage in the first place, and then maybe things that you might have been able to do differently that would allow that you could do now that would make you say, "Hey, I don't have to think about that particular number." Like, talk yeah, us through that a little bit. I, you know, I think how I got there is sort of irrelevant because it's sort it's one thing led to another, and I think the problem in our rhetoric around mileage, right? So the whole idea of, well, I, you and I talked about this earlier today on our run where you have athletes asking you about, oh, should I only increase by 10% or we're so afraid of mileage and we want it so badly that we approach it from a space of never enough almost. We're always looking to do more and more and more and more, but afraid also of doing more at the same time. Does that make sense? So like if I run too much, I will get hurt. If I don't run enough, I will not get better versus what can my body naturally handle and then just sort of finding your rhythm in there, right? Because five extra miles at the end of the week isn't going to make or break you, but how does that fit in the big context of weekly mileage. I don't know if that makes sense. I'll rem- I'll never forget the great Joe V. Hill telling me not once, but repeatedly, because I asked him this, I think over a period of three or four different discussions over a 10-year period, was he really going to be adamantly and lay down on a sword about the idea that 100 miles a week is what it takes to be an elite? And up until the last time I talked to him, which was two years ago, the answer was yes. And But 100 miles a week is not optimal for everybody. And so- For most people. Uh, right. Or and it's absolutely not going to help them. It's going to absolutely hurt them. So we really, over the years with this topic, I've come to really look at it from a sustainability perspective. Like, what is an athlete able to sustain over a consistent period of time? And I quit talking about this as a weekly mileage question, and I got to talking about it much more about global mileage. So I would ask someone to consider the fact that if they had 52 weeks in a year, how much mileage could they run over those 52 weeks? And if they did get hurt because they decided to run 80 miles a week instead of 60 miles a week, how many weeks off did they have to take because of that injury? And if it was a you know, if it's a if it's a stress fracture or a stress reaction, they're going to have to take six, eight, twelve weeks off. That's that's quarter of the year. There's no way that they're going to get a greater volume of mileage of over fifty two weeks if they had to take twelve weeks of that completely off. They would have been better with the lower mileage because their global volume would be greater. And when you extrapolate that global volume question over eighteen months, twenty four months, thirty six, you know, years after year after year as all the listeners of this podcast are people who are either long-term runners or want to be long-term runners. Don't worry about a seven-day cycle. Look at a global mileage perspective and and think about it from that perspective. It's a much more healthy and sustainable way to look at miles mattering and why miles do matter because it's the cumulative load of those miles that's most crucial and, and, and important. Yeah, I mean, I even... Even listening to you talk about it that way just now sort of started like going into another world and not listening because it overwhelmed me. And I think it all just sort of depends on the type of runner you are. So how does it overwhelm you? I think, well, especially in the space that I'm in now, when I have no idea what I'm going to run every day. I know that 
three days a week are quality. And I know on long run days I have to do X number of miles, right? Usually 20. Um, and then I know my other days I have quality workouts and everything else is just easy running. And when I wake up in the morning, I have no fucking idea if I'm going to run eight miles or 16 miles. I mean, today we went out for an easy run. We did 13 miles. It's beautiful weather. I want to go out in a little bit and maybe run a couple more miles. But some days I could wake up and it's four. And I think I see so many people and will run with people, especially on Monday mornings where I know it's everyone's recovery day. We're all running easy together. And we're taking five minutes at a water stop because they're out of breath and drinking water because they're running too like they're running too far. It's your easy day. And I don't know, I had this somewhere along the line I came up with this thing in my head where it was like my run for the day on an easy day should be my body going out until it's done. Maybe I need a sip of water. Then I turn around and I come back. Do you right? Think- like I don't not these like multiple stops where I'm having to catch my breath and like that's not recovery to me then it's kind of like what are you doing so that's why I'm worried about having a set number for any week I don't know I do you think maybe you're swinging the pendulum back a little bit to try to find your new balance at some other point you know you have you had that pendulum pulled all the way over to a long-term unsustainable model and that injured you to the point where you had to take a, a, a bit of time off and now that you're coming back to it you still have this joy and love of going long and getting the volume in and having bigger days I mean for a lot of people to hear that you might run 13 miles on an easy day and then want to go out and run another four they're like where's the balance in that right they might not see the balance in that uh, and you're sort of the balance is is that you didn't have any idea what it was you're listening to your body and trying to find the sweet spot for you the place that's good for you and I have, I overwhelmed you by the discussion of saying, oh, but you should be thinking about your global volume rather than your specific volume because you're in that place now where you're trying to find where it's right for you, where your sweet spot is, and you're finding it yeah, week by I, week. Yeah, and I think, though, it, again, it goes back to what type of runner are you. We know after multiple years of training, I do my very best with higher mileage. I'm not a low mileage runner. That doesn't mean I need to be at 90 miles, but I pretty consistently hit, let's call it between 70 and 80 miles a week, 65 and 80 miles a week, every week. That's my range. I know somewhere in there is a sweet spot. So I think that all just depends on, you know, getting to know, like people should get to know their bodies. Are you really a 10 mile a day runner or are you feeding yourself a load of bullshit and you want to be a 10-mile-a-day runner, but really you're too fucking exhausted to get your work done on quality days. Yeah, that bango, right? That's it. That's the point. That athlete is not listening to their body. They're not balanced. They're chasing a number. They're chasing what their watch is telling them, what their geekometer is telling them. Or what fucking runner's world told and them. Cha- and they're, or what their competitor, nearest competitor is doing. Right. And so... To find a sweet spot is to look at the long-term sustainability, like I suggested. And another another tactical tool for that is to find your to really start working on a sweet spot. I found that people who kept stretching for higher mileage could benefit much more at a little bit lower mileage. It also brings up when it comes to mileage, Kristen, another thing we're talking about in just a second, which is 
how people can manage their if you're going too hard and too if you're going too long on all your runs then you're something's going to give somewhere you're either running so slow to make it happen or you're running so fast you can't recover from it and then any quality that you might be doing which is valuable and necessary that you run a variety of different paces will be negatively impacted as well so you know this is just one topic where if you're in a space where balance is not there for you with mileage, just take some time to think about it. Think about what really matters. Consider the idea of global volume. Think, consider the idea that Kristen's talking about of completely listening to your body and going much more on a free-form way that, list, that works well for you. Or consider an idea of a sweet spot. And I'm probably pretty sure if you did some more research, you'll find five or seven other ways that you can use mileage to find a place, to get a place of balance with your running. The next area we want to talk about is looking at periodization. So this is the idea that most people who are listening to this podcast are getting ready for a race. And most of the athletes that I work with, Kristen, or athletes I have worked with in the past, they run at least two marathons in a year, if not three or more marathons in a year. And when they do that, they are constantly in a training cycle. They're constantly working on a process by which they're getting ready for a race. And so there's no time for them to build a base. There's no time for them to look at creating seasons. There's not an ability for them to look at getting a, a phase in there that's specific for different kinds of benefits from a training perspective. So they are constantly on a marathon cycle. Or if they're half marathoners, they're running a half marathon every single time. And so there's no balance there between the faster stuff that they need to run and the slower stuff that they need to run. There's no balance there between in different times of the year, you're taking downtime where you're not beating your body up with 16, 18, 20, 22 mile runs if you're a marathoner. That you're, and I'm, I'm you know, I just had this long discussion with my athletes in a, and that I coach about how what I've created for them from a periodization standpoint is something called everything all the time because the athletes that I work with are constantly on this treadmill. They're on this grind of running a marathon every every six months or so. And where and when will they get downtime? And I'm telling you, at some point in time, if they don't take downtime, it's going to take it for them. And so here's an idea there. If you if you find yourself in a position where you're really tired and you're really exhausted and you feel like you've just been on this treadmill of racing, 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 it is far more beneficial for you over the long haul to take a down two months, three months. Yeah, I think that's a really scary place to be in. I used, I used to look at um, one of your former athletes posted something about and she had a, I don't know if she had a great race or what happened, but she took several a few weeks at least of downtime and just ran when she wanted to, but everything was easy. And I remember looking at that and being sort of in awe of it and thinking like, oh my God, it must be nice to be her and she can come back and just be fast again. But I think that's the fear, right? That we look at those athletes and think that it's them, not us. But as long as you're not sitting on the sofa eating bonbons all day, you too can come back and be fast again or even faster. In fact, you're more likely to come back stronger and faster by taking the break. Right, but I think there's that fear. I know certainly I've had it of, oh my God, I can't take six weeks off of no, you know, no workouts or no intense work because then I'm going to have to start all over again. That's just not true. And But you don't know that until you feel it, right? 
whether that's from injury, right? Like you're forced to take a break or because you choose to, like you're not going to know that until you feel it, right? Like not knowledge is only rumor until it lives in the body. Mm-hmm. I think that's a perfect example of that. Yeah. When I coached at UT, I would require the athletes that I coached to take two weeks off. Mm. And I remember at first they were like, what? Yeah. It's scary. And, and and I don't necessarily espouse that for everyone. I espoused it for that group because they had a cross country season, an indoor track season, an outdoor track season, and they were and they and we had to be ready for all three seasons. There when in the summer we had a window where they'd finished their last race. They needed some time to be regular kids and enjoy life and be normal college age kids and and not think about running every single day and getting in every and if I gave them two weeks and I would tell them two weeks minimum you cannot run and then the third week it's up to you and then the fourth week I went 30 minutes every other day and they're like how are we going to be ready for cross country your your biggest cross country race is in November we'll be ready I promise you need a break and your more important races are happening in February and then the most important race just happened in May what do you want to be ready for you can't be ready for all of it so you have to take some seasonality seasonality is also a huge aspect of what it is to be human right like we have now with our air-conditioned homes and our cars that are air-conditioned we we don't pay attention until to the weather we don't pay attention to the moons. We don't want to pay attention to all those things. It, it's, it's really, and that's an evolutionary known for us. Like we used to live by those cycles, by the cycles of weather, by the cycles of the moon, and we don't anymore. Now, I'm not talking about, you know, completely changing your life. What I'm just saying is you need balance in your overall plan. And For those of you who are willing to create a plan that's 18 months or 24 months long, what a great opportunity. You, I guarantee you, I guarantee you a much better command performance 24 months from now if you do the right things and take time off now. Mm. But who wants to wait 24 months? Instant gratification. If you do want to wait, if you do want to have that really, really big performance, then you'll need to at some point. And, you know, Kristen, for some people, they'll tell you, I know this, I'm watching athletes that I coach see cycle after cycle after cycle of incredible improvement. And that's fantastic. But it will stop. It's not sustainable. It, It will stop at some point where they will have to take a break or the break will be taken for them, period. So what I argue is why not be the commander of that? Why not be the master of that ship? Like you can. So consider it. So that's another area we might look at in terms of finding balance. Um, All right, let's get to this really, really, really controversial one, Kristen. Oh, boy. Okay. What we eat. Nutrition. Mm. Where is balance? I feel like I should not have anything to say about this. No, you should have things to say about this because this is something that you're really passionate about as long as you you recognize that what you're going to share is going to be valuable to people because you you spend way more time on this topic. In what ways are people imbalanced with their nutrition? The way that we approach nutrition in general is, again, how can I eat the most amount possible and still, I don't know, be in shape enough to run or whatever it is, right? So looking at food as a reward system. So I just ran 20 miles, so I get to shove food into my mouth all day, every day, pizza, ice cream, candy, whatever. Not that those things aren't fun and good. They are fun and good in moderation. But I think sometimes, you know, if we do a 22 mile run on a Saturday and then spend the rest of the day on the sofa eating shitty food and wonder why it took three days to recover from that run, 
it's kind of obvious, I think, but I think in general, we should approach nutrition in however you want to look at it and whatever, whatever diet you choose, whatever right. macros fit your life, right? you should eat to fuel and eat to recover and sometimes have fun with food. And that's it. That's really, really simple. But food is not your reward for a run or the reason to run, right? Like the I run for cupcake. Those really piss me off. Whatever. To each his own. But if you're looking to get some big command performance, you should eat to fuel and eat to recover. And then eat to enjoy life in moderation. Yeah, for sure. I mean, don't be so type A. You know, we had your birthday the other day and I spent all day thinking the day before, like, how can I prepare food so that I can be part of the birthday festivities, but not indulge in the birthday food? And then it was like, wait a second, have the fucking ice cream, like (laughs) indulge for a day and let that be that. But it doesn't, it's why you see so many people slogging miles away and their body image never changes but then you hear them complaining about their body image all the time we need to be very mindful about what we're putting into our bodies a calorie is not a calorie and calories in do not equate to calories out yeah i was about to ask you about that but you just jumped the shark yeah i don't want to say too much more about it because it can be really controversial controversial but i mean Do some research, find out in general some of the theories that are floating around out there with regard to nutrition, read lots of different things, put some time and effort and energy into it and play around with what works best for you and, and get to know the foods that you eat. If you're like, I mean, I feel like for the most part, most of us eat the same things most of the time, right? Like we have our, our go-to breakfast or go-to dinners or whatever, and just kind of get familiar with the macronutrients in your favorite foods and what does that look like and what does that feel like and how much are you eating in a day. You may think that you're not eating much. Maybe you are eating way too much. Maybe you're not eating enough. Um, just get familiar with that and do some reading. But I'm not going to talk about it. <laughs> so I've had this experience of, you know, I started training more consistently and I've always had a really poor diet. Um, pretty much a sugar freak. I was a beer. I was a beer freak for a long time, which is tons and tons of sugars. And then I eat would eat lots of processed sugars, lots and lots, and lots of pasta, especially like white pasta. And so I've been playing with it because the nutritional expert in my life has talked about (laughs) how sugar is in it in is an inflammatory, and and I'm. Oh, a lot of times I'm getting out of bed and a little bit rickety in the first 10 or 15 steps as I go to do my business early in the morning. And I have begun to notice that if I limit the amount or the, especially just limit, I don't stop myself because I don't know how I'm going to be able to completely stop with just cold turkey in that regard. I, I have just limited the amount that I eat and then try to eat it earlier in the day and not late in the day. And I can feel a difference. So that's just one thing, right? One piece. Everybody knows that processed sugar is not, and processed foods are not optimal for them. But if you'll live a little bit of trying to take it out of your system to see where your right spot is, if it doesn't make any difference to your body, then maybe don't do it. 
But if it does, if you find yourself being less inflamed because you did that, that's a way of bringing balance into your nutrition and finding what is good for your body and a good way to handle and manage that. Yeah, there's a couple examples of of ways that you can do that. I, I think that the idea of calories in and calories out is just so egregiously terrible. If you don't, if you still subscribe to that point of view, you need to do some research and look into it. It's uh, a bill of goods we've been sold. It's a conspiracy theory waiting for you to explore and find out about. That's all I'll say about that. The end. Forever, never. <laughs> Not. Um, so, Kristen, here's another big one. Um, muscle recruitment patterns. People are going to be like, what? What are you talking about? Like, So our sport is really, really challenging. It is really hard on our bodies because we stay in one neuromuscular recruitment pattern over and over and over and over. When you run a race distance, you know what optimal pace is, and you hold that pace for as long as you can. Maybe you fluctuated a little bit with a negative split, or you do a positive split and you adjust it, but the way your body is recruiting those muscles is it's happening in the same way, stride after stride after stride. If you run 30 miles a week, that's a lot. If you run 60 miles a week, that's a whole lot. If it's 90 miles a week, that's a whole lot of all the same neuromuscular recruitment pattern. And that is a real problem for most people. Especially if you have some sort of like wonky mechanic issues, right? And especially as you age, because as you age, your body's ability to continue to recover and recuperate from those bouts of same muscle group, tendon group, ligament group, repeat action, you need rest and recovery from it. So we're arguing that there are a whole host of ways for you to look at balancing this really critical and crucial problem of running. Uh, The first one I'm going to talk about is one that's near and dear to my heart, is balance your trail running with road running or balance your road running with trail running. Just add 10%, 15%, of mileage in the other area to give you balance. If you're all on trail all the time, then you're not going to have those, you're not going to have worked those really simple, basic neuro recruitment patterns that happen when you're running at faster paces for on the roads. If you're on the roads using those same ones, as soon as you get on the trail, you'll immediately say, why are my abs hurting? Why are my shoulders hurting? You, you, right. you run in a completely different mechanics in a completely different form. That's a very easy way for someone to bring balance into this problem of neuromuscular recruitment patterns. What's another way that people can, another exercise, next thing that people can do to, to balance that? My favorite one to talk about is strength training. I think every runner, no matter what your distance, no matter who you are, no matter what your age, every runner should do some form of strength training at least twice a week. I would say twice a week is actually a really good place to be in. Man, I... We talked about this today. So many people ask me about this all of the time, and I'm always very hesitant to give any advice in this area, just like with nutrition, because it can be such a, I think people overthink it, honestly. Like, you just need to be able to do a few different moves. Well, maybe they're intimidated. Yeah, I mean, well, here's the deal. You look at, you're on fucking Instagram, and you see 
all of these things that Jordan Hase is doing and Colleen Quigley and all of these really complex and complicated moves. And then you want to know how they do them and how often they do them. Like, guys, stop the track, rewind a little bit, and let's start with a fucking squat, a deadlift, and a press. Go to your nearest gym or CrossFit place and pay somebody for a few hours of their time and learn to do very simple movements with very light weight and build from there and learn to do moves correctly before you start trying to work all these different planes of motion and stabilizing muscles like learn to do a squat and learn to do it perfectly before you add any weight and then go from there. That's an act of balance in itself, isn't it? Yeah, totally. If you're doing it correctly, yeah. I mean, there's almost no passive movement in the squat. And anyway, I just think we get so wrapped up in more miles and trying to do more of that work or in trying to do these really complicated cross-body single-leg things, which are very, very beneficial and very important after you've learned the basics. And anybody can learn the basics really easily. Believe me, you just do a Google search of optimal strength training for runners, and you're going to come up with a wide variety of things. Go through those things and pick out the four or five that are in every single one of them because those are the four or five you really need to do. You need to be able to do a squat. You need to be able to be able to do a press. You need to know how to use kettlebells and what kettlebells are and how to use them. And and as Kristen said, an hour or two hours of paid time with a trainer will pay off immensely in the long run because you'll have the proper mechanics, the right way to do it, and now you can now you can control how much time you spend in the gym and how you spend the time in the gym. I mean, yeah, because you really need, what, like 20, 30 minutes yeah, two I would, times a week? Yeah, I would argue that 30 minutes is probably optimal, and if people are warming up and cooling down to get to get warm, that's good. That's something they probably need to do. But it doesn't need to be 90 minutes or an hour in the gym. And you can create your own gym in your garage or your backyard pretty simply and pretty cost-effectively. Listen, there are all over the internet, there's ways to show you how to optimize for this. Don't let it be an excuse. Weight training is something we all need to be doing. Today, I was on my trail run. My hips started giving out and giving me all kinds of issues because I've got an issue going on. And all I was saying is, it's my own damn fault. I'm not balancing my running. I'm not getting in the weight room. I need to get in the weight room. I would also like to point out that you just mentioned that you celebrated your 50th birthday, and now you're talking about your hip giving out. And uh, <laughs> I don't just, it's kind of funny. Uh, moving on. <laughs> so there's so many areas that you could go into on this topic about balancing those neuromuscular recruitment patterns. We could talk about shoes and the types of shoes you use. We could go into massage, getting a massage from other people, self-massaging, using foam rollers. There's, there's just a lot of ways that you can balance out this constant and consistent use of the same muscle patterns over and over again. And you need to. If you don't, it's going to rear its ugly head, and the lack of balance is going to take you out almost assuredly. Let's move now, Kristen, to the topic of the, the more important issue for many people, and I, don't, I guess it's not, it, let's just say equally important issue for many people, and that's that they don't have a balanced life. Mm. It's that they're trying, based on our busy world and our busy lives, to burn the candle at both ends. And in their life, they're also trying to get it all 
And they're also trying to find hacks and shortcuts. Mm -hmm. That's not the most effective way to live. And it will burn you out from your sport. If you care about running and you want to run for a long time and you want to see improvement over a long period, you've got to find a way to balance your life. You can't survive on running at a high level, whatever that is for you, whether you're a five-hour marathoner or a 15-minute 5K person. It doesn't matter. You can't do it on four hours of sleep a night. It's The body cannot recuperate and recover if you're doing that. Yeah, running should, I'm a big believer in running should add to your life, not take away from it. So if you're approaching anything that you do as a chore, you should probably reevaluate its place in your life. Work included. So this is a big, big topic, and it's one there's no way, obviously, we could get to the bottom of it. In fact, I think there's podcast after podcast out there in this world about how to optimize your life, and some of which I've listened to before and no longer can I listen to anymore. First, ask yourself, do you see the value of balance? Because if you don't see the ba- value of balance, then just disregard, stop, and look about. look at just putting balance in your running, okay? That would be useful. But if you don't want a balanced life, then that's okay. I don't know of a single human being that doesn't want balance in their life. If you say you want it, do you really want it? If you say you want it, you're going to have to make changes. You're going to have to make big changes, seismic changes. Are you willing to make those changes? Are you willing to look at your habits? Are you willing to look at your, your feedback, mental feedback loops and default scripts? Are you willing to, look, willing to look at your life, your whole life? Because that's where balance comes in. For many of us, that's just too much. Yeah, you're kind of freaking me out a and, little bit. And I think, again, I, and, I, and I want to freak people out because I want them to decide whether they really want to have life balance or if they don't. And if they don't, that's okay. You can at least balance some of your life. You can at least find a way. You can't do everything. I coach athletes. I can think of three athletes right now who I'm worried about, deeply worried about their long-term sustainability in our sport because their lives are so busy, crazy. Their jobs are incredibly complex and challenging, and, and they're high achievers in those areas. Their family is incredibly important and valuable to them, and it brings them such joy, but it also creates more time suck than they can even imagine. Then they've got to keep a household. They've got to think about whose birthday's coming up in their social structure. They're on social media, working social media, and trying to be an effective person, and they're trying to run on top of it. At some point in time, you're going to have to find a way to balance your life or it's going to balance it for you. The reckoning. I don't want that for any of my athletes. I don't. I I want them to be able to do everything that they can possibly do. I want them to see their family in all the ways that they want to. I want them to have 10 different hobbies. I want them to be incredibly effective people at work, and I want them to get all the sleep in the world. But something's got to give something's got to get. Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, you talked about the different podcasts and like how to optimize your life. And I think it's coming up with a list and picking the top, I don't know, what, five, six, seven, ten most important things and like becoming a minimalist in your life. What's necessary? So you say like I want them to have their ten different hobbies. Do you? I don't. Like 
pick a couple of things that you love to do and put your time and energy into it. No, I do want them to have their 10 different hobbies. If that matters more than sleep or they can't have it all is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, but it shouldn't matter more than sleep. Like get sleep and then do what you can after that and be willing. Like if you want 10 different hobbies, recognize that you're probably not going to run to your potential. I think I fundamentally disagree on that. However, I do see what you're saying. So you're saying it doesn't have to be all or nothing. I don't think it does have to be all or nothing. I think find way. This is why it was overwhelming me. Find ways that you can implement balance in your life in little ways and then let that permeate everything else. So you don't have to be a willy-nilly fly-by-the-seat-of-your-pants runner like I am now, didn't used to be. But maybe you ditch your watch one day a week. Maybe for one easy run a week, you run without your watch and just see how you feel. And when your body says it's done running, be done running. And whatever pace that is, run that pace. Or maybe you only look at your watch during a workout to calibrate where you are pace-wise for the first rep. I think... Or listening to your body and recognizing what is hunger and what is thirst and what is boredom. I think we can find balance in our lives in small ways that aren't overwhelming and don't require almost a whole new worldview, right? Wake up and look at your day from the space of how can I have balance in this moment? How can I have balance in this activity, in this hour? right? Versus there is a lot of benefit to doing what you were saying. And it does require a lot of change. But I think for so many people that can be very scary. And my hope with this podcast is that people just evaluate their current space and their current running life and their current family life and work life and friend life and look for ways that they can find balance in the small things. We need both. We need to hear the hard news that we're in an unsustainable space if we are, and we need the grace and the understanding that you want all these things, but maybe you need to limit them. One thing that people can really work on is flexibility. I mean, rigid things break, flexible things don't. If you're going to be rigid about a schedule, if you're going to be rigid about the time frame that you have to get something in, if you're going to be rigid about where and when it has to sit, it's going to create more stress. It's going to create more imbalance in your life. But if you're willing to be flexible and the thing of and running matters to you or some other thing matters to you in life, maybe those two items can get flipped. Maybe if you're a morning runner, the weather's a little bit better. You can get more sleep by the weather change and you get to get a run in at lunch. So you can be flexible with where it sits and how it sits with you. And being willing to look at things that create flexibility or force you to be flexible, they stretch you and they make you get out of your comfort zone. You can always go back to them. Like your example of instead of just going completely by effort and all your runs and not and jettisoning your Garmin and like I do and going with the Timex, you can do one run or two runs. And I can choose to do, you could do one or two runs and then go back to using it all the time if it doesn't work. But being flexible is having an open mind about 
what could be happening and what might be optimized for you and might what, what might work best for you and, and trying it for a little bit and being flexible with what you might find out to see what will work. But when you're rigid and things have to fit at certain times in certain places all the time, no matter what, over and over again, that's not balanced. There's no way to be balanced that way. Yeah, I think I just have one last thing to say on that and then I'll... I, you know, in our in the last episode, we talked about um, doing a body scan, and I think doing body scans every day is really beneficial. Where's your body at today? What does it need? What do you have on your schedule? That's relevant, right? And then just doing a body scan to see where you are. Maybe you didn't sleep, and maybe you need to do that run later in the week or later in the day or whatever that means for you, I think. That's what that's kind of what being flexible means. Listening to your body and trying to determine what's best for you and not what you think is best for you. Yeah, we also talked last week about grace, right? Having grace and being in a position where you say, Hey, sometimes, you know, in regards to quitting, sometimes you just can't get it done. It's just not gonna be the time. And I think this is another area where just recognizing that you're not balanced and having grace about it. You can come back to that later. Maybe it's just not an area that you can you can balance right now. Maybe it's there's not a piece of this in your life that you can balance because of all the other things. You've limited it. You cut your life down to all the things that matter, but all these things do matter to you so much. You can probably find ways over time to to squeeze more time or more or less effort out of them. And so having grace and not saying I have to handle all of this right now, right here, and uh, but I do think it does still require you to be recognizing it and to look at it and to say, do I really want to be balanced or do I just want to do all the things because that I want to do all the time? Again, we're going to go back to this kind of idea that we have had before about what feels true to you about this experience. What feels true to you about your body's experience in training and where does balance fit in that? space and where does balance fit in the space of your life and just consider these topics just consider them and spend time delineating the various spaces in your life where balance could be useful beneficial and advantageous and don't run away from it don't just keep swinging the pendulum because you have always swung the pendulum Take it from me. I've learned now that pendulum swinging is not good for me, and I'm not even happy doing it. I just am doing the pendulum swinging because I have to to get this thing I don't really want. And I think for many, many people, delineating and knowing what it is that you really want and then finding a way to find balance with it. There's a way to find that balance and a, and a way to get it in your life. You can't have everything but you can have the things you want the most if you're willing to balance them. You can't have high mileage and super fast sprinting speed, but you can have something of both of them. If you'll just look at it, your running life and look at your training life with more balance in it. So I guess, Kristen, to end this you know, topic of balance, you know, I made that bold statement about do you really want it? Do you really want balance? And it just seems like in so much of what we do in running and what we do in life is, what do we really want? And while you've chastened me a bit by saying, you know, just telling people that they do or don't want balance in their life, like it's overwhelming, I think there's a space for that overwhelmingness 
and that space of of am I out of control to help you not swing the fucking pendulum so far. Right, but that type of person is going to be inclined to go, oh my God, I got to balance my whole life and let me, how do I even start that? And I think the way to get to that big picture goal that you're talking about is taking a deep breath, doing a body scan, and just being flexible, and being flexible, having grace, approaching your day from the aspect of how can I have balance in this moment, in this run, in this workout, in this Ah, uh, so work break meeting. it down to the to that yeah, moment. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't have to be, like, it's really fucking scary when you say the big shit you just said. Like, that's heavy and makes me feel like I'm not being a good human, right? That's how I feel. I get freaked out about it, and mm-hmm. I don't know. It's just overwhelming to me when I think about all the things that I need to do to be a better runner and to be a better person and a better mom. And so just don't do that. Just take a deep breath and do what you can right now in this moment. I'm going to talk about a lot about being in the moment, I think, for the next good bit. I talked about it in the last episode, too. Yeah, maybe it'll be a recurring theme. So I'm sitting here chastened, maybe a little, maybe not. I also called you old a couple of times. That's okay. That is a very true statement. But believe me, (laughs) I'm pretty spry and sprightly for an old 50-year-old. Thanks, guys, for listening to us. uh, We love doing this. Um, We missed you last week because life was imbalanced, and we didn't find time and space to get it in, and here we are doing it now. So thanks, guys, for listening to us and getting to this point. We love talking about this stuff, as you can tell. Hopefully you're enjoying it. If you are, let us know. There's lots of ways you can support us, especially by getting on your favorite podcast delivery devices and or podcast delivery sites and just give us a review or say you like us. I know you hear that from everybody, but it does help. It helps people find us and it helps us continue to do what we're doing. Um, If you have questions about some of the stuff we talked about or curious more about who we are, what we're all about, you can reach out. You can reach me at Sisson at telosrunning.com. We'd love to hear from you. And until next week, have a great one.